the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain. Now, before we jump in, apologies, we did have some issues in recording this episode remotely while we're not able to get into the podcast New Zealand studios. But I think you'll enjoy it. Let's get started with our guest, Simon Shea DeBoer. How are you? Functioning relatively as normal, to be honest. Fantastic. Maybe you could give just a sort of a, a little intro to uh, to where you fit into this big wide world of technology things in New Zealand, and we'll dive in more later on into the show into the story of your your startup. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Sure. I hope the, sig- the signal just got a bit a blocky as we went live, so I'm hoping that's not a problem for everyone. Um, yeah, so Reality Virtual, you know, we're uh, basically a R&D VFX company that focuses primarily on real time. So basically, we're a research and development company that's very interested in the processes of delivering real time immersive experiences. Uh, let it be spaces and places around the world, but also in faces, like essentially providing volumetric solutions for people doing performances and acting and and live um Live broadcasting in, 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 in the third dimension, pretty much. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 pretty it's pretty cool stuff. I've heard you use the term that you are, are backing up the world, backing up the planets. I they yes, redo that edit. It's back up the planet. Um, hashtag back up the planet. Well, basically, for the last three or four years, I've been running around the planet and uh, scanning, you know, acquisitioning or what we call encapsulating a multitude of different environments uh, around the place. Such notable places as Nefertari, Queen Nefertari in the Valley of the Queens, and uh, King Tut that I'm sure everyone knows about. Uh, we got we actually got a Lumi Award uh, earlier this year, Lumi, the prestigious Lumi Award for best VR, best virtual reality educational application. Um, That's awesome. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, so uh, you know, eight months ago, me and my CTO were my chief technology officer were running around the Large Hydron Collider um, soon. Uh, we've done numbers of locations. Um, you know, we've done a number of locations locally: uh, St. Matthew's Cathedral, uh, Sir James Wallace, the Homestead. Um, yeah, just a bunch very of cool. them. Uh, yeah, yeah, very cool. Yeah. We'll, we'll delve into a little bit more of that later on in the show. Um, yeah. Now, I just wanted to give a, a shout out and appreciation to our show partners, who are Sumo Logic, Vodafone, Spark, Vocus, HP, and Samsung. Now, it's those firms that are making the New Zealand Tech Podcast uh, possible and also getting behind the tech community here in New Zealand. So, um, yeah, big thank you to uh, to those brands for their uh, support and participation. Now, we're going to jump through and sort of chat about some of the, the tech news of the week and then dive in to really hear a bit more of the story of reality, reality virtual and your your recent success and funding that you've achieved, which is, uh, yeah. is pretty exciting. First up, I started speaking on the last episode about a little gadget that I've got in my hand here that sort of looks like a, a half-size um, smartphone, and that, that's because it folds up, oh. and it's the uh, the new Samsung Galaxy Z Flip, and um, I don't know, th- this sort of caught my attention when, um, when Samsung unveiled this um, to me alongside the new Galaxy uh, S20 series ahead of their um, their public announcement uh, would be going back, uh, uh, I guess, a couple of months now, and um, finally got it in my hands last week, and I've had a bit of a chance to play around with it, and 
I got to say that there's there's just something about um, this technology. We've heard about folding screens and you know flexible screens and so on for so many years, but now it's here. And I mean, this is the second folding phone from Samsung, but this one seems to actually be something that you know it, it feels reasonably robust. And I and I know reading some of the some of the things online where people have tried to scratch the screen and so on and have been successful, um, you still need to treat it with care, but. I don't know. There's something about it. it. It it just seems pretty cool to me. What's your What are your thoughts on this one, Simon? Your eyes seem oh, to light up. I'm a little bit jelly. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm a huge fan of the um, the Z Flip and obviously the first generation uh, Fold. Um, been kind of eyeing it up quite a bit. I have a real bad tendency of going through cell phones very fast, so I was kind of holding back the second generation on the actual Fold, but the Z Flip looks like a remarkably beautiful device and they have done extremely well um really pushing the envelope on the technology uh must give samsung credit where credit is due yeah yeah well i mean i think you know we're we're in a time where i mean it's it's fair to say it wasn't so exciting with the new product announcements in terms of oh yeah there's another new phone another new phone another new phone they all seem to be sort of so so similar so mm. yeah the um the the galaxy z flip definitely definitely it's you know it's definitely yeah. a little bit different from oh. what we're kind of um and and look I, you know i think you know bring it on yep some people will say it's a bit of a a bit of a gimmick and i would say yeah, to a to a to a degree, um, it is. There's there's a bit of going retro with having the the flip phone in there. Um, mm. Does it does it have all the things of our absolutely um, top phones in, in terms of cameras and 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 whatnot? No, but it's a you know it's still a pretty reasonable phone in terms of performance. Um, Two fifty six gigs of storage. Uh, but yeah, you've got to be you've got to be uh, pretty committed to buy it. So it's launched into mm. the New Zealand market at twenty four hundred dollars. So mm, it's, it's mm. by no means a uh, you know a, a low cost device. It's it's very much in that premium, uh, you know, flagship type price range. But I'm sure they will be selling uh, a few a few of these in the in the local market, as as they will be around the world. But you know, their their numbers, I I doubt are going to sort of compare with a lot of the other uh, phones, but. Um, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Seems like a nice phone to me. Um, now, the other phone that I wanted to mention um, this week is um, because the Z Flip now um, you know, has been officially available in, in New Zealand for I know, a week or a week or two. Uh, you know, technically, although reasonably hard to get get hold of uh, things at the moment, with um, with being being under lockdown, so you can't walk into a store and <laughs> pick it up. Um, no. It, no. Is the new um, iPhone, the iPhone SE or um, SE2, as some people are, are dubbing it, because it's their second generation um, of the iPhone SE, and launched into New Zealand? It seems, I don't know, maybe this is exchange rates and GST and everything on top. Launched in the US at three ninety nine, uh, landing in New Zealand at seven seven nine nine, um, which I don't know. It feels like they they, they could have. Uh, I don't know, sharpen their pencil a little bit, little bit there, but um, yeah. you know, um, that's that's the nature of these things. They always like sort of re- you know reasonably round numbers, and then they take a dollar off um, for for I don't know marketing or whatever whatever reasons. Um, so it's yeah launched here or it launches in New Zealand on uh, on Friday. Um, yeah, basically eight hundred dollars. 
uh, for the 64 gig, 900 for the 128, 1100 for the two 256. What I like about it, as um, from from what I've read so far, and I'm not going to get hands on it until um, maybe Thursday or Friday this this week, um, is that it has this effectively the same um, smarts in it as an iPhone 11 Pro. So you know, you, you you're comparing it to a you know, two thousand dollar plus um, phone on the iPhone um, front in terms of you know performance and and so on. Their A13 um, Bionic. And so, you know, somebody who is a an iPhone uh, fan or wanting to try out an iPhone, it's uh, it's pretty good bang for buck. It's got their you know portrait um, you know camera front and back and so on. Um, but yeah, certainly certainly not everything that's in the uh, in the in the top iPhones. Um, Simon, you're a um, Android user yourself. What's uh, what's your take on Apple coming out with a with a low cost phone at eight hundred dollars? It's certainly a lot more than a, than a low cost Android, but it's uh, you know it's got a, a probably a bit more in the in the package. Mm, uh, well, my daughter was insistent on an iPhone. Uh, I'm actually an Android fan uh, personally. Um, have always been pretty much Samsung, uh, I guess. But actually, look honestly, the um, I'm going to I'm going to completely butcher this, but the Xiaomi uh, M9 yep. Pro um, and M10 Pro, like you know, I mean, this is why I didn't go straight for the. Oh, looks like we might have a slight connectivity issue there, folks. Hopefully, um, Simon rejoins our stream. Very soon, such as the nature of uh, the internet, we can't all get into the uh, uh, the, the studio. Uh, even though it would have been um, wouldn't it, wouldn't have been f- far to go to be in the studio today. While we wait wait for uh, for Simon to uh, to rejoin the stream, I'll jump on to the next the next topic, which is the announcement from Australia's competition watchdog. And this was this was pretty interesting, actually, is that Australia are saying that they're basically going to uh, compel Facebook and Google to pay media outlets for news content. Now, this is the sort of thing that, you know, really, uh, you know, a lot of media have been pushing for and are saying, look, you know, it's just not fair that uh, that Google and Facebook get to make loads of cash off the back of our content and yet these media outlets themselves are struggling to actually stay afloat and particularly in these times of COVID-19 where it's even harder to find advertising dollars and and uh, and and so on. Um, so yeah pretty uh, pretty challenging pretty challenging times uh, for the media but this this approach could well help if Australia is actually able to uh, force uh, Facebook and Google to start sharing some of their advertising uh, revenue with the media outlets whose content they they end up basically um, featuring and um, you know generating some of their own advertising and um and and money out of so yeah it's a little bit of a um um a little bit of an interesting um scenario there and i'm certainly very very keen to see what happens uh, just just messaging um simon uh, shay there to see um see whether he can rejoin the stream See how his internet connection's going. Hopefully, he can uh, he can um, pop back into our virtual uh, studio. Oh, here we go. 
Let's have a look. I have no idea. I guess you do not mention uh, a Chinese brand phone while podcasting on iTunes, right? Ah. <laughs> that, that, was, that was nutty timing. I'm like, I'm, like, I'm, I'm plugging in. Uh, sorry, just give me a second. My computer's fully rebooting. Um, yeah. That was very spooky. Uh, oh, strange, 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 uh, really? strange times. Um, sorry for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's all right. Now, I was just, just talking about this um, this move where the um, Australian Competition and Consumer uh, Commission basically working on developing uh, a, or have been working on developing a voluntary code of contact, uh, conduct, um, but the Australian government had um, had felt it was unlikely they were going to get any voluntary agreement from the likes of Google and Facebook around sharing uh, advertising revenue. So um, basically, the government is um, is is ordering um, them as the competition watchdog to um, um, create a code of conduct that will actually force these. Uh, you know, global tech giants to um, to be paying Australian media for um, for the revenue that they generate off the back of their content. And look, I know in in recent days where uh, New Zealand media have been um, struggling, there it's it's certainly been raised. I know uh, you know Media Works have been raising uh, this with the government and and highlighting that, and also highlighting the. Um, the government's advertising spend on social media to get out messages about COVID nineteen, um, rather than putting all that money into uh, into local media. Do you think this um, this makes makes sense? Is this a is this a fair sort of approach to um, you know the our the big global uh, players? Uh, you know, particularly Google and and Facebook, who you know definitely leverage off other people's content. So the question being, are we talking about old media versus New, Ze- uh, New Zealand media? Old, old media versus new media. Um, I mean, like, you just got to reach your largest audience. I'd like to see the likes of Facebook and all that essentially allow for these um, COVID-like services to be essentially not revenue-based. You, you always need a public audience. You know, we need an NPR for new media, in my opinion, um, something that is accessible to everyone in, in, in especially times of need. Um, old media's got a lot of soul-searching to do, let's be honest here. I mean, we had our article um, about Fortnite yesterday come out, uh, and my mum can't see it. <laughs> my mum can't actually see it because of the paywall. And I'm just like, well, y- you know, we need a new model, in all honesty. Uh, a best of both worlds, in my opinion. Yeah. Yep, yep, okay. Yeah. Um, now, on to, um, on to other, other topics. Um, this this is one area I think is quite fascinating. Was the data that uh, that Google have collected in terms of um, you know effectively people tracking, but not in a I guess in a horrible sort of spooky way as we mm-hmm. you know we, we usually get con- concerned about some of the things that um, big tech companies do in terms of their data, but. Um, you know, where, where it's very much uh, anonymized and where we're seeing these, um, uh, you know, a few graphs that have sort of been um, been published, 
that show how much people aren't leaving their homes. And, it, you know, it's been mm, done on mm. a sort of country-by-country country basis. But, you know, quite yeah. Yeah, quite encouraging to, um, to see that data. It's not really anything mind-blowing because it's, it's sort of what you would expect, but it also – backs up and, and um, you know, does gov- give some, uh, you know, assuredness to the reality that, um, you know, mo- most people are following the lockdown and um, not travelling not travelling too far. What was your take on um, on seeing some of this um, change? Well, I mean, look, let's be clear here. Look, um, you know, advertising is already following us. Like, <laughs> you know, we already have Facebooks and the likes of targeting us actively, you know, based on, you know, uh, IP addresses and locations and, and all that jazz. Um, I think in times of crisis, I, I, I look at what Singapore have done. I look at what South Korea have done, where you have opt-in protocols for people to actually actively uh, be vol- voluntarily share up that information, especially in times of need. I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is if the advertisers are doing it, why can't we do it in the middle of a pandemic? I mean, just to be clear, you opt in or you don't opt in. It's that simple. And honestly, we should be able to do that with Facebook and other things already. The fact that we kind of opt in by default on Facebook and other platforms for this kind of, you know, this precious information uh, is a bit, um, it's, it's not quite right. It's, it really isn't. Yeah. And so this, yeah. this argument that we're having about local government wanting to use such information or at least allow us to choose to submit such information it's a no-brainer to me personally. It, it, it makes you know, and I'm not surveillance state, but the fact is we're already living in a surveillance state. It's just not the states that are surveillancing us; it's the corporations. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I do. I do like the approach that um, has been taken in, in Singapore. I know Australia have followed that, so they've got their um, their contact tracing app. Nothing's really happened in in New Zealand. I'm not, you know, not sure exactly why we've we've stepped back from that you've got google uh and apple working working together um you know on an underlying offering to facilitate that and look some of it is really really good from the um from the the privacy perspective the contact tracing uh technology and that it's more focused on who you've connected with and even that's in an anonymous way rather than actually where where you've been um, so look, yeah, there's there's a, there's I guess huge amounts of data at the moment that could be could be useful and and certainly has been useful in making the decisions. Obviously, a lot of it comes down to how that data is interpreted. You know, I think we you know we we've we've heard um, you know um, ongoing information you know every day around you know stats of uh, how many new uh, infections there there have been with COVID nineteen and then you know how New Zealand is responding. And for those that are looking further afield, which I think most of us are to a degree, you know, it, it is quite fascinating to see the approach that New Zealand takes with our data versus how Australia takes it versus how uh, UK takes it versus how, say, um, you know, Taiwan. Taiwan's a, one is a really interesting one because, hmm. you know, for very varying reasons, uh, we don't tend to give too much too much coverage to, to Taiwan. Yeah, uh, which is a little shocking. Sorry, just said the way. Yeah, <laughs> you so po- po- political aspects to to, to that yeah, I'm picking, but yeah, yeah. you know, the m- massive population compared to ours. Um, you know, yet infections lower than ours, um, and there are obviously some some real differences in terms of culturally and how they operate compared to how um, how we we live. <laughs> and, yeah, of course, they've had 
to deal with with SARS and and past things, but they really seem to have it have it down um, there, and yeah, to an even you know a dramatically greater extent than what. Um, you know, China did on a on a per capita basis. So, uh, yeah, really, really interesting. But it, it's really hard, I think, at times to join up the dots and and make good decisions. You know, fortunately, uh, here in New Zealand, we've been um, you know in a in a pretty good state in terms of infections. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know, some deaths now over the last um, you know couple of weeks. That's that's increased. Um, but yeah, you you you've got to. Um, Imagine that there's a, a lot of numbers that are being crunched and, and looked looked at by uh, uh, Ministry of Health and 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 by the government, right? Yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure if that was a question or a statement, but um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, look, Taiwan's done really well. Um, it's you know, uh, you know, I I talk to friends and uh, parties in, in China about it quite a bit with a little bit of. Um, uh, a little bit of pullback, I guess. Um, but, you know, so is the nature of the political beast right now that we're living in. Uh, I do believe Taiwan definitely gets to, you know, should be having a bit more recognition than they are getting in regards of how well they've actually done. Um, but, you know, WHO and the rest of it, uh, it's a bit of a political statement. I'm going to kind of just be a little bit shy of that one yeah. um, because I've got a lot of good friends in China. Um, so, you know, just... Blatantly say it. Um, I was actually meant to. Um, uh, I was meant to go to Shanghai on the seventeenth of January to um, propose to um, an ex-girlfriend, out of all things. So uh, it's uh, it was a bit of a drama situation where obviously I was going to go down there and and do that in Shanghai and then um, go go spend time in Chinese New Year's together and finally meet her family and uh, breaks uh, the breaks were on. So yeah. Um, wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry to hear that. That hasn't. Oh no, uh, that hasn't okay. we're, 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 still, we're still on WeChat. We're still chatting away. She still knows. I mean, she's gonna. She's gonna see this. She's well aware of the situation. <laughs> Technolo- the technology still yeah. helps, right? Yeah, so, the technology uh, still helps. I mean, I've been. You know, we've. We've. You know, we've. You know, I, I have pretty good lines of communication um, in all those respects. So it's. 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 Uh, it's nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think we, you know, everywhere you look with um, with this COVID nineteen situation, there the the threads of technology uh, are in there, and you know, in all sorts of ways. And often we we won't know exactly how much you know technology is be, is being drawn on for particular uh, decisions. And um, you know, it is it is sometimes hard to wonder why governments you know make particularly different uh, different decisions. And you know, sometimes there's certainly an element of uh, of luck in the uh, in the picture of how things land, and 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 sometimes it's um you know smart interpretation and and, and use of the uh, the data. Um, now on to um a couple more things, sort of in terms of um of of local interest, um, network for learning or. or NFAL, as it's um, they're often abbreviated to, um, they're the government-funded entity that provides uh, broadband um, into the education market, well, particularly our our, our schools uh, here in New Zealand. 
and part of what they've provided um, for a long time as a as a level of um, safety, I guess, so that you know kids that are wandering around online, um, you know, hopefully don't don't wander into um, into stuff that's maybe you know in, inappropriate for them to see in their uh, their their younger years. Um, and I thought it was quite interesting that they've they've announced that this uh, filtering service that they provide for um, schools. It has been opened up so that those who are educating their uh, their children from home, um, which you know, there, there's certainly some um, new connectivity being put out to um, to homes where people maybe haven't traditionally been able to afford the internet. Uh, all of that stuff is is going on right now. So they've fired up a new um, service in conjunction with the Ministry of Education and NetSafe called um, Switch On Safety, um, which is is a service that um, I guess is pretty easy to to set up uh, for a family that sort of wants to um, you know wants to open up that access to their youngsters, but wants to be a little bit more on the um, on the safe side. So I thought that was that was um, nice because it's it's not something that I I would have expected from Network for Learning because their their offering has always been around their um, their managed network. And then the other thing um, that's to, to do with the current times is there was an announcement out of um, one of our ultra-fast broadband providers, um, Enable, and you know, I guess we're getting different messages from different um, you know parts of industry around how they can help people during this time. Uh, but they're saying they're putting their wholesale um, uh, broadband price increases on, um, um, on hold at this time. And um, you know, also have have options there for um, you know businesses not having to uh, you know disconnect and um, and so on. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's just so many things going on around um, New Zealand, as I'm, I'm sure there are in other parts of the world to to try and keep uh, businesses operating, to try and keep people employed, uh, to take some of that um, that pressure off uh, you know individuals that are getting. You know, caught with bills that they maybe are are um, struggling to pay. Simon, how um, um, you know what have what have you seen in terms of um, challenges? I mean, your your um, business has just recently received some funding. If you hadn't ever received um, the most recent funding, how much pressure would this COVID nineteen situation have put you under? Uh. Applied for the wage subsidy a few weeks ago. We're still waiting on it, <laughs> so I uh, don't really know what's going on there. They they sent the application saying, "Yeah, we um we've seen your application, but um I'm still waiting for my call to confirm yay or nay." Uh, luckily, we you know we did know that we were in the running for the mega grant for quite some time. Um, yeah, Rowan saying that you know it keeps my four or five guys, you know, well and solid for the next year. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's uh, we, we sh- you know, in our position, especially in the work that we're doing, um, we really should be in a, in a realm of expansion right now. Um, we haven't seen any government support, to be perfectly honest. Um, and, you know, I've tried to do our avenues, but, you know, there's just a lot of chasing around. And it doesn't make it any easier that, you know, it's almost impossible to talk to a human being right now when you're dealing with uh, MSD or the rest of it. Um, I think a lot of the bigger entities uh, are basically getting a better shake. 
uh, and faster responses to all of this. I don't know, you know, but in saying it, look, I have huge admiration for what our government is doing and how they've actually been managing all of this. And I think we might just be a little bit out of the spectrum in regards to that. And we are, a small, you know, technically we're a small entity in New Zealand. You know, uh, all of the guys have been on contract rather than PAYE. Uh, most small startups struggle with PAYE, to be perfectly honest. And so it, it, we might be under the radar. Um, I have huge amount of patience, though, in regards to all of that. Um, though we're hoping that, you know, we do see some local support come by. Luckily, the, you know, the likes of NVIDIA and Epic Games and Amazon Web Services have actually been helping us out for quite some time. That's it awesome. does, yeah, it does create unique problems, though. Obviously, we're in the business of encapsulating real-world environments. Uh, you know, the last few years, I've just traveled for years, so um, that's kind of a bit off the cards right now. Luckily, we have a lot of stuff that we can work on while we're here, and we do have New Zealand that we would love to encapsulate and give the rest of the world as an export, you know, because right. we are one of the first characters out, so, you know, we're yeah. one of the first countries out the door, so... Absolutely. Yeah. Um, just a, a little tip. There might, you know, this may relate to you. It may relate to some um, some listeners uh, businesses. Um, mm-hmm. But for those that do have have contractors, my yeah. Um, yeah. my impression talking to um, Max Whitehead, who's a you know, bit of an employment um, expert and a, a, you know advisor type guy. Um, yeah. In those cases, individuals might be able to apply for um, for a subsidy them, themselves. Yeah. So yeah. it may come yeah. through that track because I know um, some businesses have been getting the government subsidy through, you know, within like twenty four to forty eight hours. So yeah. Yeah. it might be that that's a track to go. I, you know, so we're not. Yeah, we're not entirely sure. Um, we we yeah. suspect of something like that as well. But you know, in, in all respects, most people in hospitality and other aspects, you know, I mean, most people uh, on contract. Let's be honest here. Uh, yeah. Especially the people who actually probably need the grant more than others. Yeah. You know, PAYE has its luxuries. Contract is a thing. Uh, and so the guys have actually tried to do individual processes of that as well, but with no luck. So we... we uh, yeah. No, look, it's, a, it's, a, it's a massive ramp up. It's okay. Luckily, we... Um, you know, luckily we got the mega grant. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I want to delve into time. that now yeah. is yeah. is to hear, look, hear a little bit about Reality Virtual. Um, maybe you can start out with the, the background. How did, you know, how did you get you get started? I know you've been around for, you know, a, a good few years now. And, um, you know, how, what's that journey kind of look like to get to where, where you are now? And, um, you know, now, now really, you know, gaining a lot more attention globally. Oh, no, we've always had global attention, <laughs> to be clear. Um, you know, so, yeah, we've always been in the um, in that respect. Uh, I, I won't get into the, how I got into this because that's, you know, it's been well documented and uh, it will be coming out in a, uh, in a soon to be released TEDx talk and all that kind of jazz. And it's also a very personal story. Um, and it's one I don't actually like to share too often because it was a real, um, uh, it was a difficult process of uh, entering into it. Uh, it was a, you know, basically, you know, when you get handed lemons, you make lemonade. So a personal tragedy. Um, yeah. yeah. So, but I mean, in regards to, I mean, what, what's, how do I answer that question? Um, you know, necessity is the mother of all inventions. Uh, and in this case, I had a problem that I needed to solve uh, due to this personal life situation. Prior to that, I was actually just playing drums and singing in a band. Uh, and I essentially self-taught how to, you know, how to capture environments and all this kind of stuff. 
and it just ramped up. I mean, 2015 was just playing around with experiences, didn't really know what exactly I was doing, uh, hadn't been classically trained in the realm, and as a result was, you know, by default breaking a lot of the rules. Uh, and just started showing stuff up off on the internet and uh, NVIDIA about three and a half years picked up on it and uh, we produced this beautiful uh, experience called Mana VR uh, which had this beautiful Maori lady seeing to cutting her uh, on this beach with waves crashing and the rain is pouring down and so you know to do that experience alone we invented a host of different technologies including you know RGBD hybrid volumetric video techniques um, and obviously photogrammetry uh, which is a big word I know most parties won't catch on to, but basically this ability of you know taking thousands of photographs and from these photographs we're able to extrapolate immensely detailed 3D environments. And where others have struggled with the amount of data that you get from this is that how do you make it run in real time? And we really pushed that envelope of doing ultra-realistic, photorealistic, real-world environments running in real time you know, and this is where Unreal Engine got into it because we're showing off the graphic fidelity of what they're able to deliver and um, really just pushed the envelope. And so, you know, I went from like a kid in his bedroom on the DPB raising his daughter and taking her to Freeman's Bay School every day uh, to, quite frankly, you know, reality virtual as well renowned as probably, well, I don't want to brag, it's a New Zealand thing, right? We can't, you know. Humble brag. Um, it's Everyone's just going to block there. me. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, no, no, yeah. brag. We want to well, hear. We well, want to hear. Well, it. We, we're literally perceived. Oh, perceived. I mean, I can't even say it. We're, we're literally known as the the, the gold standard of um, ultra realistic real world encapsulation of real world places, spaces. Um, and that's not us saying that. That's Nvidia. So. Um, yeah, we're, we've, we've punched well above our weight and, you know, we're literally just four or five guys who up until a month ago were just working out of a hacker house, uh, smoking cigarettes out the window and drinking red wine late at night while eating copious amounts of pizza. Uh, and we've been punching our weight well above the likes of, you know, I mean, it's, it's crazy in New Zealand. We, we, live in, uh, we live in Weta's shadow. Like, we've talked to every major studio on the planet, but we haven't had a conversation with Weta. That's how crazy it is here. Like, oh, I'll come back after, like, nine months of flying around the world. I'll come back, and on one side, there's a DPP form for me to try and apply for the doll because I've cut it while, while I'm gone. You've got to realize I'm legally blind, so the um, I was the invalid's benefit was something I was on for quite some time um, just due to my disability. Uh, but, you know, I remember flying back, and, you know, I'd, I'd go into the airport, and there'd be the idea log article, <laughs> you know, on the front page, and then, you know, like hours later, I'd come back and I got my wins form and I'm just sitting there with both of them. I'm saying something doesn't compute here. What's going on here? Like, how is it that, you know, um, yeah, it's been difficult locally. It's been very difficult. But um, the work speaks for itself. And that's where I think people really need to kind of grasp what's going on here. You know, you don't get this kind of support from Epic Games or NVIDIA or Amazon Web Services if you don't actually have anything, especially when you're not an established entity. You know, when you're known as being you know, a, f- a few lads and, and girls just, you know, hacking away at this stuff. So, yeah. I don't know if that was a concise answer. I do apologize. I'm a little bit flustered today. So No, no, that, yeah. no, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's really interesting. And, look, I, I think it's, it's actually quite important to, um, you know, to hear some of, the, some of the reality, right? I think yeah. when, you know, often when people hear about 
uh, a successful you know technology firm, mm. there isn't a lot of recognition of the journey that it takes to get to to get to those um, you know pinnacle pinnacle moments. But behind you know usually behind every great uh, success story is you know an incredible amount of you know hard work and and maybe you know you know some sort of you know hunger hardship or or or, or pain or a huge yeah. amount of it um and sometimes sustained over, over over quite a long period and and it really does take uh you know a, a huge amount of tenacity and you know I've spoken to you know lots and lots of um founders and 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 leaders of um you know varying startups and 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 firms and um Yes, I think that um, that word tenacity is something that sort of keeps coming through. Those that those that are willing to to just you know focus, uh, stick at it. Um, there, are, I mean, there are obviously lots of of skills and aspects that you know need to come together um, to to sustain things, but. You know that is certainly a real common thing. So you know, yeah. well done on getting to this point. And um, tell tell us about the um, um, this this recent. Yeah, um, everyone wants to know about the money. I get it. Uh, situ- situation <laughs> with um, yeah with with with, with Epic Games because that, that uh, you know that, that's a yeah. pinnacle point that you've you've worked hard yeah. to obviously get that recognition and to get their um, their funds behind you. I mean, it doesn't just come. From uh, you know doing doing something random, it comes because you guys have done some some great stuff. Well, I mean, it's found the relationships. I mean, once again, I do kind of I don't mean to hammer on about this, but I find that the communication has been a lot more one on one. You know, you you spend time in Los Angeles and New York and San Francisco, and you're just you know you're hanging out and having a beer and having conversations and going to Hollywood parties, you know, I remember that, you know, I remember meeting uh, Kim, the CTO of Epic and the, the creator of Fortnite They had this Hollywood party, but I just managed to kind of jump into somehow. Uh, and we're just sitting there and like, you know, it's just this crazy launch startup party. And it's just, it's networking. I mean, don't get me wrong. This is not any kind of weird personal favors or anything like anything like that. I mean, once they got acquisition by Tencent, a uh, Chinese company, biggest you know, game company arguably in the world, you know, when they, you know, I've known Epic for years. I've known them personally for years as just friends, like friends on Facebook. And then when I finally got the opportunity to jump overseas, you know, because I've never traveled for 35 years of my life, you know, and I'm only 38 now. So just to give you a, a, a spectrum of how rapid this whole thing ramped up, you know, it was like in this bedroom, Epic Games years ago gave us a 20,000 US dollar grant um, and just, it was overnight, and I'm like, man, I'm just going to jump on a plane. Never been on a plane before. Let's jump on a plane. Uh, and, 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 it was, uh, and then, like, you know, for, like, three and a half years, I was just kind of, like, momentarily dropping back into New Zealand, every, you know, for a few weeks of the year. I mean, it was, it was nuts. Um, and it was all, a lot of synchronicity and a lot of just networking. And so before I know it, I'm doing, like, uh, keynotes and uh, panels at South by Southwest and all this kind of jazz and um, and so just really getting to know the people and having this personal relationship, I mean, a genuine, you know, level of intimacy. Um, and so people start batting for you. And so you start creating a movement. And so, you know, I, I describe us more as like a rock band than a startup, to be honest. I know that sounds weird, but uh, it, it's more akin to that kind of lifestyle and, and uh, you know, running around the planet and just, you know, doing cool things and meeting cool people and, you uh, but, you know, and so the remote access aspect of this has actually been really native to us because we've been doing this pretty much the whole time. Like the team at home have been just kind of 
chugging away at a lot of these components while I, I essentially spread the gospel um, and, and, and do the travel and uh, get to know the people and engage in the conversations. Um, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, like with Nefertari, you know, what was that, two years ago, two years, two months ago, you know, I've just flown 29 hours. I, I land in Luxor, uh, Egypt. You know, I spent eight hours in a tomb of five guys with AK-47s above us. And then I fly back. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> and it's just like, okay, I just got to go on a tomb by myself. Yeah. Okay, so that's so what, did, what did that actually um, look like? What was it like being... Um, you know, being in the, some of these locations where you've gone, and yeah. what are you doing? You're ca- you're basically capturing that three D, very high def sort of footage to um, mm-hmm. to bring together to create that virtual reality experience. How do yeah. how do you go about doing that? Well, I mean, it's it's um, it's you know, it's I got this Pelican case, which you, I don't think you can see behind me, but it's just this like big Pelican case, and um, it's got a whole bunch of oh yeah, there you go. Uh, and I'm trying to point to it because I think that you can see where I'm pointing. Sorry about that. Um, so, yeah, uh, just a big Pelican case where we just, you know, it's got a bunch of spe- uh, specific camera equipment that we use, um, though it's actually relatively straightforward. Uh, it's the processing that we do afterwards that really pushes us um, separate to the, to the rest. Uh, but, you know, uh, jump on a plane, get to Luxor, Egypt. You know, you go down, you take 4,000 photographs, something like that. Uh, you know, spent about six, eight hours. It was so hot, by the way. It was so hot down there, drunk like liters of water. Um, and, you know, you got these photographs, you take them back, you process them using a whole host of different techniques and a bunch of internal software we use. We use, you know, we use third-party uh, products that, you know, we actually brag about quite a bit because they've been extremely good to us. Uh, Capturing Reality have given us, you know, tens of thousands of dollars worth of licensing and whatnot. And so... We, you know, we like to work with others in that respect. Um, but, yeah, it's really the processing we do afterwards um, that puts us apart. But it's, it's, it's the actual acquisition is pretty straightforward. Just run around with a camera, take some photos, you know, and um, the computer's able to use it. Yeah, back up the planet. The computer's able to use that deep learning and, and, and uh, photogrammetry techniques and algorithms to extrapolate this data. And so what we're really in the business of and what we're really pushing with now uh, is how do we speed up this process and mass scale it? So, you know, there's a lot of... It took us two years ago, it took us three guys, six weeks, you know, 20,000 US dollars to go and do Nefertai, which is actually a bargain compared to what other companies and parties have been... Um, have been... Uh, oh, sorry, this is sunlight. Uh, have been, uh, have been uh, pushing it. Um, but, you know... A big part of that six-week process was five weeks of a process called retopology, uh, which is an extremely slow and tedious process. Um, and it's, it's, it's frustrating for the artist that you work on. It's pushing pixels. It's extremely time-consuming and exhausting. And it's, a, it's probably the largest aspect of the overall cost. So where we're pushing ahead with is that we're looking at deep learning to help us automatically retopologize these environments. So we had a six-week process, $20,000, now you can cut down to one week. And our six-week process was already considerably faster than anyone else because we were already using a whole bunch of other techniques to automate the process, you know, extrapolating all the different layers of reality uh, in itself. So you can take a photo, that's great, but it's got baked lighting from the sun. So, we, we, you know, we've developed a tool that uses AI to remove the lighting but also extrapolate things that we refer to as roughness maps. So how shiny is something, how, how reflective is it, how, you know, it's shimmer and shine, but also a bunch of other detailed maps as well 
like uh, what we call displacement or basically depth maps. So 3D information from a single photograph, you know, so that's extremely important. And so all these processes that would ever have, have to have artistic interpretation can now be relatively speaking, completely automated. And so this is where Weta should be having a conversation with us because we are building tools that is let, hard let, to let's hear you pitch to Weta. So someone no, from, from yeah. Weta will no doubt will no doubt yeah, hear this. Yeah. Uh, uh, obviously well, that message hasn't got through so far. So yeah, what what yeah. do you pitch to Weta on what you can do for them? Look, with deep PBR alone, deep physically based rendering, that tool in itself, um, basically what would take a team of a team of 30, three months to produce, a single guy with a camera can now produce in a day. So what would take a team of 30, three months? You know, these texture artists who are having to push all these pixels and, and, and de- you know, design all these maps, right, that you need for game engines and real-time VFX and, you know, post-production studio and all that kind of jazz. We're talking about fully automated, contextually aware, consistent automation of the, of the process. And that in itself is... is massive and look to be perfectly honest the job sucks the job really sucks it's a terrible job everyone you know they've just got these 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 guys in the bottom of the basement working on this and and just churning through these people and burning them out it's not a fun job we're saying you know bugger that so i don't know if that's a swear word i hope that's not overseas um uh we're talking about you know automating this massively and and so now these guys who are stuck in the basement you know, in the dark can now actually go out and take some photographs and get some light and enjoy it. So that's just one tool of many tools that we are pushing forward with deep learning through the whole automation process. And it's going to be an extremely disruptive tool to gaming, VFX, virtual studio production. Um, It it massively upscales our ability to massively produce environments. And so where we're really pushing now is how do we democratise this to the world? And so we're looking at this thing called an artist rights management system where you have people on the ground. So I'm a musician myself. And so APRA will occasionally, you know, back in the day, they would occasionally write me a little check to say thank you for your, you know, music on BFM or whatever, right? And so we want to do that for people on the ground acquisitioning this data. So when you're out there, anywhere in the world, you're taking these photographs, you can submit it to the system, and it's, it's kind of, it's peer-to-peer, so it's equally distributed and archived for archival purposes. Think of a kind of a heritage initiative here. But if a studio or a game company or a museology environment like a museum or whatnot or an educational facility needs to access one of these locations, we, tr- we treat ourselves very much like Kodak. We would process that, those negatives and then yep. provide it to that company uh, under strict licensing use based on what the individual has allowed that, those photographs to be used for. The individual actually goes get the individual actually goes gets you know gets paid for the time that they put in acquisitioning that data, reality yeah. virtual or actual reality or whatever we you know call that component of our entity, uh, essentially you know gets paid for doing the the cost overhead. We keep it as cheap as possible because we want a mass scale. The studio gets an, an incredibly detailed, realistic environment to use for studio production and or education and whatnot. And the better thing is this: the general public get that location as well you know not stripped down it just doesn't have the educational elements or doesn't have the use case of virtual studio production it's just the environment they actually get to go and jump in and see it and so we're basically providing mass scale virtualization of the planet while also it's think of public you know it's like national public radio 
you know, thanks to our sponsors, we provide you this show. It, it really is just an old, it's just a retake of 20th century television and national public radio, NPR and national radio and all that jazz. But we're doing it on a, um, you know, obviously in the virtual realm rather than the flat TVs that we're looking at now. Yeah. Which, kind of, which pivots on to the other concept, which is really cool. <laughs> Very, very yeah. cool. Oh, that, no, that, that's exciting. Yeah. And so, sorry, yeah. what, what, what's the other concept that you're alluding to there? Oh, well, you know, obviously Deep Mirror. So, um, you know, here we are having this video conference and, we, we, you know, we're struggling to have eye contact with one another because it depends on where our camera is versus where the screen is. Um, and so in the crisis of the current situation, here we are working on Deep PBR, and um, these old volumetric video RGBD hybrid techniques that we've been using in the past, and we've been sitting on both, and our hybrid video technique was extremely lightweight, can run on 4G, uh, it can use standard connect or, you know, connect sensors that you get on an Xbox One, uh, and it was able to get really good noise, you know, removal of the noise, upscale the, the, all these maps that I was talking about earlier that are required to do this stuff. Um, and stream it on a 4G mobile platform, right? And so we've been sitting on that technology for years, and we're wondering why no one's lapping it up. And I'm just, I'm just like screaming to the rooftops going, guys, we have this thing, and everyone's too busy throwing millions of dollars at the AI, you know, cough, cough, uh, and other entities here in New Zealand. Uh, and we're like, look, this is, this is something that's mass distributable. You know, a lot of people have these connect sensors. Um, you know, people can't stream, like, the, the problem with volumetric video in the past was just the bandwidth. It was too heavy. You had to download like two gigs for like one minute of video. Um, and we're talking about like 100 megabytes a minute. So, you know, we're trying to say, well, look, if you want volumetric video and all this stuff to take off, you, you, you need to find a way to have indie studios and all the rest of it, you know, be able to use this stuff. So that's something we've been working on. So when COVID-19 took place, here we are using deep learning to extrapolate all these, you know, awesome details and maps, and we're getting this faster and faster. And we also have this volumetric video technique that we've just shelved for the last few years, sadly. And we're like, well, why don't we just go live? Why don't we just make this live? Why don't we use DPVR to extrapolate all the maps that we need, all the 3D information? The fact that I can do this and extrapolate what its 3D is using AI in real time, and then I can use a volumetric technique to stream it on a 4G platform, it's basically what we refer to as dark mirror. It's basically an immersive one-on-one -on -one telepresence system that when I lean like this side to side, I'm actually seeing the different angles of your face. And when I'm going forward, we're both sharing an actual shared... Right, so you move forward, you're gonna, you're, it's as though yeah. you're leaning in towards the yeah, person and you're sitting and next to them. And this is just using yeah. a standard monitor and a standard webcam because... The webcam also knows where I am and it follows me. So the webcam, the screen update I get of you is pivoted like as in real space. And so we refer to it as like talking through a sheet of glass to someone. And even more so where it gets interesting is we can do that in conjunction with lighting. So my lighting that you see on me, right? How do I describe this? The lighting that you, is kind of a bit of a, yeah. I see my lighting on you. My environment, the sun comes down that corner. It casts right. on your face on the same angle. You yeah, see cool. your lighting on me. So it's not just the fact that we're sharing 3D space, we're actually sharing the same light. Yeah, sorry, I had to pause it. Dramatic yeah, pause. That, that, that sounds pretty <laughs> impressive. Well, that's definitely something you should be, uh, you know, licensing yeah. or, you know, what yeah. have you. It definitely sounds like something that could be monetized. So, well, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, Zoom, sorry, buddies. 
Um, look, I mean, look, this is this is something that we came to fruition and realized we could do in the last three weeks. So I kid you not, I mean, the last three, four weeks, this literally just came about as a, you know, look, necessity is a mother all invention. I said it again. That's how I got into this in the first place. And so we know we have all these pre-existing technologies. We're just literally right now working on repackaging it to do this new thing. And so we're pushing for July as an early beta, um, though we're honestly, where we've had this gift from Epic and others, where we'd really love to see parties come in is we want, we want to rapidly upscale, oh, sorry, upscale the business essentially. And we, we can tackle this in a year, but we want to tackle this in three months. And so what Epic's given us is it's given us support for a year for the current people we have. We want to, we want to, no, no, no offense, uh, as a bit of an anarchist, we want to capitalize on the situation and really bring this to market as soon as possible. And so we're talking to local parties and all the rest to see if they can actually finally get behind us, you know, and essentially match dollar for dollar for what the international brands have done for us. So good. Considering, yeah, yeah. So that's my plug. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, good, good, good luck with that. That's, uh, that's yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Well, great yeah. to chat today. Look, I'm sure we could probably spend a, a lot more time um, talking because it's fascinating um, stuff, but we've kind of, uh, you know, reach out, reached our end spot. Yeah. So, um, look, for people that are interested in um, finding out a bit more about Reality Virtual, maybe somebody wants to get in touch uh, to – you know, in, invest in some way or, or um, you know, use your services? How do they uh, – yeah. oh, well, where, where's yeah. the best way to re- to get through to you? Well, I mean, you've got the website. Um, so realityvirtual.co. I mean, it's in the name of the company. It's actually the, the website itself. Um, but we're, we're, we've got a strong internet presence. I mean, we're really easy to find, uh, especially, you know, news-wise. I mean, we've got a dozen articles and podcasts and all that stuff. I mean, the information is all out there. If you go to the website, you can see all the prior texts we've done, all the, you know, all the talks we have done. You know, I'll be linking to this talk eventually. And, yeah, uh, just realityvirtual.co, Simon at realityvirtual.co. I don't want to be bombed, though. So. There we go. It's always good to have a direct contact. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Um, was there anything um, else that you wanted to um, add before we finish up, Simon? Uh, no, I'm just, just excited to actually let uh, – you know, make our country proud. I, I really think New Zealand's in a unique position to um, push ahead and actually be a leading tech innovator. Um, we just need to stop throwing it all at the, 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 the old boys club and actually get behind the, the new blood. So, yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, be, best of luck. And, um, yeah, we'll look forward to get, getting an update again and, you know, hopefully not too distant future. And, um, yeah, we'll look, look forward to seeing how things uh, progress, Simon. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.